0: Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Well, this is nearing the end of the month of April, in the year 2018. So we are really... Now, less than two years away from presidential primary season. I know that's enough to give one indigestion, but nonetheless, it is a fact. And while some may choose to imagine that presidential politics season, only exists for X number of weeks every four years. In point of fact, it is ongoing without cessation. (laughs) Four years out of every four years. Surprisingly enough, there hasn't been that much that I have detected, that I have noticed regarding explicit, presidential politicking by particular Democrat presidential aspirants. That's not to say, however, that they have not been very active, including fundraising, building their networks, their operations, and of course, engaging in Opposition research, but with President Trump operating the way that he does, uh, opposition research isn't quite as demanding as it is for some others. That being said, the ranks of the Democrat Party were shocked and appalled and amazed as were the major media elites and those behind the curtains, that Donald Trump won the general election. Yes, they provided all manner of assistance to him to puff him up because they were convinced that he was the weakest candidate, the most flawed, and one they could easily dispatch during the general election. However, as luck would have it, that's not how it worked out. But while candidate Trump was able to succeed while being a wildly undisciplined candidate, showing forth how he would operate as president, as tweeter-in-chief, and numero uno, loose cannon, While that worked for him in the run-up to the general election, going through the nominating process and on to the general election, while that worked for him there, it has served him less well thereafter. It has served him much less well after obtaining to the presidency. But despite all of his flaws and all of his foibles and all of his faux pas and all of his greater inadequacies and sins and various degrees of unfitness and unworthiness and lack of wisdom because of dearth of fear of God, worship of God, honor of God, love of God, serious character deficiencies. Despite all of that, and despite his incredibly unruly, undisciplined way of operating, nonetheless, his administration has managed to make inroads in rolling back the oppressive, monstrous, enslaving leftist bureaucracy that has been built up for decades and decades and decades to the extreme detriment of those in the United States of America that are good and godly and honorable and law-abiding, God-loving, peace-loving, so on and so forth. This movement, if you will, to impeach the president, and the impeachment, the word is bandied about, but it's a process. And as we have seen in previous times, while the term impeachment is used to reference elements of that process in point of fact it is a multi-step process and while previous president was impeached he succeeded in not being Convicted because he had operatives who knew where the bodies were buried and they were able to manipulate the process via gangsterism, if you will. This impeachment movement is not some sort of grassroots groundswell being generated as a result of malfeasance by the incumbent president. No. This goes back to prior to his being elected. And when I say prior to his being elected... I'm not referring to any Russian meddling with the election process or anything like that. I'm referring explicitly to the panic response of the left when the realization hit them immediately prior to the election. That it looked like they were in for a loss. Something horrendously shocking, horrifying to them, which they just had not been able to grasp as being a possibility. They thought that they had secured victory by assisting Trump in gaining the Republican nomination. So to find him passing them, if you will, as in a horse race, coming down to the finish line and he's ahead. It was just absolutely astonishing and horrifying. And immediately the machinery went into operation to stop him. To try to even prevent him from being inaugurated. And failing that to attempt to have him removed from office. And that will continue right up to the next election. Interestingly enough, you're not seeing, or at least I haven't seen, a great deal of explicit politicking by would be Democrat presidential candidates thus far, which is a little bit surprising because, after all, the 2020 primary season is how far away? Right now. Two years, less than two years. Rest assured, there's been a great deal of activity behind the scenes. It just hasn't been communicated very much. The emphasis has been on taking him down. And in the process, besmirching and defiling the Republican Party as a whole. And I think it's an interesting tactic, and I think it's uh, not a completely crazy tactic to have been employed and that will continue to be employed. But at some point in time, these various presidential aspirants will have to break off from the pack and try to distinguish themselves, separate themselves from the pack, and create a great personal following. I saw something here just a short time ago, a matter of days ago, and it was a story stating that Democratic potential presidential candidates were in agreement that there was a red line or a line in the sand that if President Trump fired Special Counsel Robert Mueller, it would be grounds for impeachment. What I found interesting in this little ditty... Was that the very first name floated as a prominent presidential candidate, in all likelihood, was a first term U.S. Senator who took the place vacated by Barbara Boxer long time-long-term leftist Democrat hack Barbara Boxer out there in California by Kamala Harris, a black woman who uh, is cream but uh, was attorney general in California, is extremely on the left, but that's redundant because try to find a Democrat that's not those that are referred to as moderates, progressives, <laughs> they are extremists. They are socialists to the core. Whether it happens to be Diane Feinstein or Kamala Harris or Nancy Pelosi or Debbie Schultz Wasserman or Hillary Rodham Clinton or Elizabeth Warren or Hattie Murray, and the list just goes on and on and on. Take your pick. They're all extreme leftists. But the very first name, even ahead of Elizabeth Warren, was Kamala Harris in her first term. I thought that was remarkable that she would be named. Now, admittedly, She is one of the U.S. Senators, along with dear old Dianne Feinstein, from the big, powerful state of California. And when I say powerful, I say that in the following reasons, or for these reasons. One, the population, the number of votes that can be cast in the state of California— Even, even if the illegal aliens, (laughs) the undocumented workers, even if they don't vote, right, Right. the number of voters in California, of course, dwarfs anywhere else in the United States of America. And of course, California is supposed to have like the number seven economy in the world, despite what the Democrat Party has done to California For low these many decades. But when I say powerful, I'm not referring to the magnificent, natural, God given, God created beauty. I'm not referring to military installations. I'm not referring to economic power or riches. I am referring specifically to votes. And in addition to votes, to media, major media elites, the entertainment industry, and all of the extreme leftist influence. And leftist money that will be employed to attempt to garner this next presidential election for the left. But poor Senator Elizabeth Warren, she had to take a back seat to Kamala Harris. I just thought that was too funny that Kamala should be numero uno. On this nose count, you know much has been said over the past many decades, in some circles concerning the number of lawyers in the United States of America and I would think that a reasonable person, if they believed that it was true that this nation was awash with as many lawyers as it is, people who have pursued and obtained significant postgraduate education, people generally speaking of good intellect and carefully honed through legal education and then being employed typically in some facet of law-related enterprise, whether that happens to be taking the route of prosecuting attorneys, you know, assistant DA, DA, and on up, and attorney general, and lieutenant governor, and that sort of thing, which is then, of course, extremely in the political realm, or immediately heading into politics, diving into politics, running for... Congress, like JFK, or entering corporate law and lobbying or becoming a defense attorney or entering some specialized branch of law, more specialized, uh, rather than these very clear, prominent, mainstream avenues, paths. I would think that, on the whole, these people would be especially reverent of the Constitution of the United States of America, especially concerned with this nation being righteous and just and fair and law-abiding and God-honoring. But we always hear about this nation as a nation of laws, a nation of laws. Well, originally it was a nation of faith, of faith. And there's a world of difference between a nation of laws and a nation of faith. Especially when those laws happen to be man-made, woman-made laws. As we go back to the foundation of this nation, preceding, predating the political invention of this national government. We had people who jeopardized, who hazarded their lives, their families and loved ones, their treasure, of which they had very little, (laughs) in coming to the United States of America. They gave up everything, In many cases, what little they had, but typically they gave up everything coming here. They came here to be able to worship God Almighty and the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, to obey God, to be faithful to God, to honor God, to serve God. And when later in time, after the founding fathers had jeopardized their treasure, their wealth, their property, their lives, to create a nation a national government independent from the regime of Great Britain. They founded this government on a set of laws that were based on God's word. Unfortunately, they had entirely too much respect and regard for the Greeks and the Romans. And that greatly influenced what was written, what the founding documents would provide us with. But they created it based on, first and foremost, on the word of God, on the Ten Commandments, on God's law. And now in this comparatively short period of time, less than 250 years, less than a quarter of a millennia, the Constitution has been relegated to being a historical artifact. And every day, new laws are generated not only by these extreme leftist politicians who not only should know better, but do know better. They aren't just blundering along, even though there are those who are corrupt, and blunderingly assisting them. But there are so many of them that are dedicated to undermining, to supplanting, to destroying everything that this nation was breathed into existence to be. But it's not just they who are creating these evil laws that are strangling this nation. It's the myriad bureaucrats. This matter of what would a reasonable man do? You know, in a court of law, what would a reasonable man do? Well, a reasonable man, you can throw that whole notion out because a reasonable man cannot comprehend this morass of virulent laws that have supplanted truth and righteousness and godliness. Simply can't. The laws need to be clear Consistent, understandable, and limited in order to be understood and obeyed and enforced honorably. It used to be, if we go back to the Founding Fathers... These were men who, despite not having public education, received a more comprehensive education by the age of 14 or 15 or 16 than our most highly educated people in the United States of America receive now. With all of their years of education. Our founding fathers, for all of their imperfections, and I'm painting with a broad brush here <laughs> to include them, but on the whole, were honorable, God fearing, God honoring. God loving, self sacrificing men. And they believed that Americans should elect and appoint, nominate and appoint Christians. As John Jay stated, that they should prefer Christians for their judges, for the Supreme Court, for the national Supreme Court, for the state Supreme Courts. That wasn't bias, that wasn't prejudice, it was a matter of recognition that in order to represent what this nation was breathed into existence to be required fidelity to those principles and to that faith the overwhelming majority of politicians they will claim again, expediently, pragmatically claim to be Christians when they are in front of this audience or that audience or whatever so that they don't end up, you know, overturning the apple cart so, so they can be viewed as being a safe enough person to elect. one who will obey the laws, enforce the laws, so on and so forth. When in fact, in private, in their particular circles, of course they spit on the word of God, the Bible, the Constitution, the Founding Fathers, and so forth. Wendy Vitter, who's nominated by President Trump for a important judicial position, that is, for the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Louisiana. She was questioned and she chose not to get into stating what her opinions were regarding Various legislation regarding various decisions made by the United States Supreme Court and the legislative offshoots of that. But she did go on to say that if confirmed, she would set aside her personal religious or political views, and she would be bound by Supreme Court precedent. So let me just repeat that. She said the following, that she would set aside, quote, her personal religious or political views, personal religious or political views end quote, and she would be bound by Supreme Court precedent. Now, that may sound, oh, that's the way it should be, right? Well, no, it's not the way it should be. But it's what you need to do. You need to agree to that. You need to agree, not just to say that, but agree with that mindset. If you're on the right, if you're a person of faith, then you have to put aside your faith, your beliefs, your convictions, your morals, your mores, and instead just be bound by Supreme Court precedent, wicked Supreme Court precedent, vile Supreme Court precedent, lewd, profane, perverse Supreme Court precedent, evil Supreme court precedent back in a moment on that. I'm Brad Thomas. And this is after all is said and done. Whatever is right or good or true about this program is thanks to God almighty and his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Whatever's wrong, lacking, failing about this program is due to me. So once upon a time, some years ago, decades ago, I had a case that actually went to the Supreme Court. I'm not a lawyer. When I say I had a case, I'm saying I was directly, personally involved. And it wound its way through the courts, and it took three years, and it got to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court did not speak to it. They remanded it back to appellate court. And I supposedly uh, was victorious, but it was a pyrrhic victory because I did not receive any funding in the form of award. (laughs) And what had been destroyed by those on the left thus was not able to be replaced, and so on and so forth. But the reason I mention this, and vaguely, (laughs) but the reason I mention this is just this, is that what I was struck by and what I was appalled by throughout this three-year process was the fact that the case was argued not just by the other side, but by those representing me, was argued totally based on recent precedent throw out the Word of God, throw out the Constitution, throw out the original intent of the Founding Fathers, it all comes down to the precedents that have been set since then by so many who have militated against righteousness and justice and truth. And it was a great education for me. Because even though I had intended to attend law school to gain a law degree and I had taken the LSAT and I had been, you know, uh, accepted (laughs) and had this law school or that law school wanting me to go there. And I did not attend law school because of personal reasons, because of family reasons, I did not do that. So this was eye-opening to me that things were this bad with regard to the system, as, in fact, I, I really knew. I knew there was no chance of my ever being elevated to a position such as the U.S. Supreme Court. It just was not a possibility, not for me. Just as it was not a possibility for me to be elected to high political office because I wasn't willing to say and do what would be necessary to accomplish that. I wouldn't be willing to make those compromises in what I would say and how I would act that would be required, that was necessary in order to be nominated and confirmed, to be elected. It just wasn't going to happen. But our legal process, this rule of law that so-called conservatives love to trot out their great... Commitment to and reverence for the rule of the law. The rule of law. Law governing everything. It is so flawed. The rule of law is no better than those laws. What are those laws? If those laws are not good and righteous and godly, then what do you have? You have tyranny. You don't have freedom. You don't have liberty. You don't have justice. You don't have mercy. Instead, what you have is tyranny. And we have vast armies of lawyers in this nation who have worked to tyrannize this nation. Then we have others, vast armies of lawyers who are just dedicated to enriching themselves. (laughs) And then we have some who actually want to make this nation a better place. Lots of luck with that. And so it is within the ranks of the political candidates, so many of whom are lawyers. So I don't mean that oh, all the lawyers are bad guys. No. But unfortunately, a significant number of them are. And it's a pity. But it's simply true. I mentioned at the beginning that we have a uh, presidential election cycle upon us. I know it supposedly is only (laughs) a few short weeks, you know, once every four years. No, no, no. (laughs) It's four years out of every four years. Michelle Obama and Oprah Winfrey have claimed that, you know, they don't want to be president. Uh, The reason given by Michelle here was a a very interesting one, I thought. uh, Michelle Obama said the following, quote, the reason why I don't want to run for president and I can't speak for Oprah. But my sense is that, first of all, you have to want the job, end quote. So to paraphrase now, so she said, the reason why I don't want to run for president, you have to want the job, that's the quote. the paraphrase is, the reason why I don't want to run for president is I don't want the job. Okay. And perhaps you believe that. But even if you believe that, you should recognize that that is <laughs> is not how Barack Hussein Obama feels. Not remotely. I don't know whether something is going to occur with regard to workings uh, having to do with constitutional convention or so forth to try to enable previous presidents who have already served the public so well, so sacrificially for two terms to be able to run for additional terms. I don't know. You know, something akin to uh, Vladimir Putin over in Russia, the Russian Federation. I don't know if something like that is in the offing or not. However, I do know that that's not necessary. I do know that just as we had a twofer when Bill Clinton was president, Hillary was directly intimately, viciously, ruthlessly involved in running that regime, along with Bill. And then, via a gambit unimaginable to the Founding Fathers, they're able to, attempt to elongate and increase that, double that by having her run. So too, we can have that happen with Barack Hussein and Michelle Obama. It hasn't worked out for the Clintons, for Hillary Rodham, Clinton and Bill. Thus far, it hasn't worked out. Not for lack of trying, Oh no. No expense, not employed to make that happen, but it hasn't happened. Betsy DeVos, every time she moves, every time she makes a statement, she is viciously verbally attacked or attacked in print, whether it's by rude, crude, obnoxious young people, or adults, or older adults, or politicians, or what have you. No good deed shall go unpunished. she has been castigated for her efforts to roll back this extreme oppressive socialist leftist agenda that has been pursued through public education. One of the Tactics employed has been this so-called joint guidance that the education and justice a.k.a. injustice departments issued under the Barack Hussein Obama Team Obama regime in 2014 purportedly issued to Assist schools to avoid policies that discriminated, even unintentionally, against black students. Well, the reason for that so called guidance was to impose the will of the Obama regime. In a New York Post op-ed, Max Eden, who is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, he stated the following. The threatening guidance tells schools, even if your rules are fair and administered equally, we may accuse you of unlawful discrimination if some groups get punished more than others. School leaders got the memo, don't punish kids Especially not minority kids. Because if you do, you may face a never ending civil rights investigation and the threat of losing federal funding. Yes, courtesy of our Justice Department and its armies of lawyers. Well, but you say to yourself, the oh, wait a minute, they're just trying to prevent discrimination. No, wait. That's a good thing, right? Or is it? Really? You see, when this group or that group or the other group seemingly, whether this happens to be white, black, brown, red, amber, yellow, whatever colors we want to assign. If members from these races, racial groups or other groups, seemingly... have more members that are disciplined or punished than those of other groups, then obviously that is de facto proof of bias, at least unintentional bias. It's not conceivable, it's not imaginable, it's not possible that actually this group or that group, this race or that race, this religion or that religion, this anything or that anything, could possibly be responsible for more wrong. For more infractions, for more violence, for more criminal activity. Absolutely not. Not possible. Because in this Shangri-La view of things there is no distinction between peoples all peoples are equally law abiding or criminal in involvements all people are equally moral or immoral all people are equally social or antisocial Peaceful or violent, and so on and so forth. And so, if we find that, lo and behold, there are more black men imprisoned by percentage than whites. or others, or Latino, Mexican, Hispanic, Asian, Oriental, what have you, then clearly that is de facto proof of discrimination, rather than possibly being an accurate reflection of what's taking place in terms of crime, in terms of... (laughs) law and order, disorder, what have you. And so the social agenda, the socialist social agenda of the left is pushed and promoted and promulgated by the governments and their armies of lawyers against the law-abiding the good. And they succeed in making schools less safe. They succeed in intimidating school administrators into not enforcing rules and restrictions and regulations that are reasonable and are in place to protect in all likelihood this current president we have will not be reelected regardless of any and all good that might be accomplished by his administration due to his unruly ways <laughs> and also due to just massive effort to unseat him. And what can we look forward to? We can look forward to more of the agenda that has been promoted to the detriment of this nation down through the past decades. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.